1: I am your host, Vic Jurami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials and other high profile public figures. So um, I'm in the studio with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Vic. How are you, man? I am great. Um, ready to talk about some uh some uh, headlines and current events coming up uh or happening now i should say um one of them um uh, we talked about which is uh the surprising um announcement if you will from the hill a very conservative publication claiming that uh donald trump is the favorite amongst republicans to be the candidate in 2024 Um, I'm pretty surprised with this because a lot of his I mean, I understand that Donald Trump still has a pretty strong base, but, um, you know, to be a candidate, you have to raise a lot of money and a lot of his big donors kind of abandoned him the last couple of months. Uh, On top of that, all the trouble that's facing him. So I'm really surprised that the Hill uh, would say this. So I'm just wondering what you think.
0: Maybe Trump is going to take a a grassroots approach to this next election. I'm not surprised whatsoever. So uh, according to The Hill and the poll, they had a hypothetical eight-way primary, and 48% of the Republican voters who participated said they would back Trump for the nod, while only 28% would support DeSantis, So if you just look at this micro example, which for some reason, I just, I'm getting a vibe. This is, it it is going to be between DeSantis and, and Trump. I just don't see Trump not being the Republican candidate for the 2024 election. The support he garnered during his, before he was president and while he was president, it was just overwhelming for for four years. I was overwhelmed. I've never seen like anything like this in my life. And the fact he's going to to run again, I I just don't see any other person taking his place if if he decides to run.
1: Listen, after twenty sixteen, I'm weary to be so confident about anything having to do with our a democracy in our election, you know, just who would have thought that, uh, Donald Trump would have won, but, and I'm not being necessarily the devil's advocate here, but I'm just thinking now he is a president or an ex president that's been impeached twice. Also, you know, the January 6th uh, committee found him, uh, guilty of so many different things. Now it's up to the justice department to take action. I mean, he has so much baggage. Uh, And also the other thing is there are a few other Republicans that I've sort of talked about uh, getting in the game, like former Secretary of State um, uh, Pompeo uh, is one of them. So I don't know. DeSantis may not be uh, the only competition for Donald Trump. You know, I I guess the
0: bottom line is, is the country is different. Granted, I've been alive for only 34 years, but this is a, a microwave society now instant gratification the the game has changed i don't think people republicans for that matter i don't think they care dude mm. i just i just really don't think they care this is a different political landscape we are living in and and trump i agree trump provides what people are looking for what they don't know what they're looking for people are attracted to him and I just don't don't see this playing out any other way. I mean, mm. I know I'm not being articulate about
1: it. This is just... I think you're it, being very articulate, especially when you said what people are looking for and what people are not looking for, because you just really put your finger on it, which is that group of people who don't... They're not educated enough, and I'm not sort of uh, looking down on anyone, but they're, they don't really educate themselves enough to know what the values are and what the facts are so uh based on that or perhaps based on not wanting a certain what they would call quote-unquote liberal values they vote for the opposite just to vote for the opposite so um you know you have you have a lot of good points and uh i have to say uh it's a wait and see i i won't by any means say it's not possible that Donald Trump will be the next candidate nominee. Even I mean, who knows? It's just, yeah, it's a wait and see. And we don't have, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of unknown on the Democrats side too. I mean, who knows if president Biden will run again, that would look like, like I feel like by the time uh, 2024 comes, we'll be in uh, some sort of a recession and uh recessions are usually not for good they're not good for a sitting president uh even if they didn't have much to do with it cuz the economy is really cyclical and presidents don't have a lot to do with it but nonetheless the the nation sort of resents any president who's been a sort of a recession president if you will but uh anyways let's let's move on you have i know you have a, an update for us about the san francisco gallery owner who hosed down uh, the homeless woman
0: yes yes last week i spoke about a san francisco art gallery owner who was recorded spraying a homeless woman with uh, a garden hose the video went viral he got a lot of crap for it and he actually spoke to a couple news outlets about it admitting what he did how he was essentially just fed up with the problem with homelessness around San Francisco, particularly in the area his gallery is located. Uh, his name is Shannon collier Gwyn, and he was arrested at his, at his gallery. His gallery is located in the Jackson Square neighborhood. He was transported to the San Francisco County Jail, and he was charged with battery and booked. So <laughs> wow. bravo, bravo, San Francisco PD. Yeah,
1: um, I'm sure they did it partly because they were put on the spot. You know, it's uh, when something becomes high profile like that, um, law enforcement wants to or tries to be you know, on their best behavior. Uh, so there you have it. You know, do not hose down homeless people. We're not bothering anyone. They're just, they're not as fortunate as we are. He was
0: claiming that before video was rolling, that she was being out of line, flipping his trash cans. And so I just want to be transparent in terms of my my approach to this and the information I'm relaying. She was being out of line and stuff, but in no way does that mean he can do something that dismissive to spray her, you know, especially in this weather. I mean, it's cold in L.A. I mean, it's probably even colder, colder in San Francisco. Yeah, so it just it just wasn't a cool thing to do.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll let the, the, the courts decide what the yeah. facts are and what happened. Uh, speaking of courts, um, I was surprised to read that Alec Baldwin is going to be charged with manslaughter. Uh, for the the shooting death on the film set, uh, because he was uh, both the producer and the actor, and the the actor who you know shot the shot the gun, you know he says that it was the responsibility of the prop master, uh, who's paid to make sure that there are no real guns on the set and there are no real bullets. Prosecutors um, says, well, you you pulled the trigger, so now he's going to be facing manslaughter charges, and I. Really, I've thought about this and I can't really decide. (laughs) I can't decide, uh, you know, how I feel about this because on one hand, I suppose if you are an actor, I mean, you assume, you know, everything is a prop on the set and there's no real, uh, you know, weapons and such. But on the other hand, I also understand uh, the other side, which says, well, as a producer, um, the buck ends with you.
0: Just a... It's kind of a bizarre and unfortunate event. I feel bad for everyone involved. The armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, she's also being charged. And yeah, just Helena Hutchins, just it's such, such a sad story. And obviously, manslaughter, that charge, you don't have to have done anything with an intent or anything. No one's saying Alec Baldwin had an intention. We we all understand the circumstances around this. That's why it just sucks. But the fact he's being charged, I mean, that's what happens, right? When you're involved in something like this, whether you like it or not, that's life.
1: Yeah. I guess that's kind of a, a first in our lifetime to sort of see something like this is a unique tragedy. Um, and we're all sort of trying to make sense of it all. Um, So we'll see. We'll see where that, where this goes, what, you know, what the investigation will
0: uh, unearth. Vic, we, we have to get to your buddy.
1: (laughs) My buddy, huh? Why? Why is he my buddy? Just because I'm gay?
0: No. (laughs) Wow. Wow. No. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just saying just because you've been so intrigued by this story.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, was, I was joking with you. Wow. Yeah, I, I am very intrigued because it's just <laughs> unfathomable. Uh, of course, we're talking about George Santos. It's just unbelievable to me that someone would just lie so much. It seems like throughout his adult life, because so many people are coming forward saying, yeah, we've known him for a long time and he just lies all the time. And it's all sort of documented. And I was... <laughs> And going through, uh, digging up all the different uh, lies, at least the major ones. Uh, You know, if you haven't been following this, as uh, George Santos is a Republican, uh, freshly elected congressman from the state of New York. He represents a big chunk of Queens, a very affluent part of Queens, actually. And, uh, you know, it's come up that uh, a lot of what he said, and he's admitted to most of it, uh, was a lie to get elected. And so I'm going to go over a few things. First, let's go through his names, the names that he's used throughout his career. Uh, of course, he's he's now known as George Santos, but he's also gone by Anthony Santos, Anthony Devolver, George Anthony Devolver, George Devolver, George A.D. Santos, Anthony Zabrowski, uh, George Anthony Santos Devolver. So those are just the names professional names that he's used. Of course, we'll in a minute, we'll get to his drag name or alleged drag name. As far as his education, of course, he's lied about being or having gone to Baruch College or NYU. Athletics, <laughs> he said that he, uh, he went to Baruch College on a volleyball scholarship where he beat Harvard and Yale, and he had to have his knees replaced because of it. Well... <laughs> He never went to Bruce College. Therefore, there was no volleyball scholarship uh, or anything like that. Profession, his career, he said that he's worked with or uh, worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. Uh, both companies have denied it. He's never worked at either one of them. A nonprofit, he said that he sort of founded Friends of Pets United. We know that he was involved to a certain degree because he pocketed. raised uh, on GoFundMe for a veteran's dying dog that he sort of uh, pocketed and uh, never gave back. Uh, His heritage, he's lied about uh, having Jewish heritage. Um, He sort of backtracked on that too. Um, Another one that's really just, I don't know, I think they're all alarming, but this one is just really bad. Uh, He said that his mom, was in one of the towers when uh, one of the planes hit 9-11. Well, according to immigration records, his mom wasn't even in the country. <laughs> so his, his mom was not even in New York or the US. And then of course, uh, a couple of days ago, um, uh, a Brazilian drag queen uh, said that uh, he used to be, George Santos used to be a drag queen. Uh, and there's a picture of him in drag in this red dress. And uh, his drag name is uh, Kitara uh, Ravash, and so George Santos has, of course, denied this. Said, no, it's not me. I'm I never did drag, but I keep looking at the, the photo, and I'm like, it's George Santos. How do you deny this? It's just uh, bizarre. So we'll see. Uh, again, I having sort of gone through the four years of Donald Trump and how someone can just lie to them, you know, just lie through everything. Who knows? I'm not that confident that uh, George Santos will be uh, made to resign from uh, Congress. But I guess the good news is that a lot of uh, Republican members of Congress have also come up and come out and said he needs to resign. So there you have it. You sure there's nothing else? Nothing else on Um, that list? (laughs) (laughs) Well, these are the highlights. There's a lot more than this, actually. But I mean, you know, evictions from... uh, evictions from uh, apartments, uh, company, you know, family, wealth and and trust that he says uh, his money's coming from. That's a a big lie. Uh, We don't really know where a lot of the, you know, who who financed his or not financed, but who funded his campaign. So there's a lot of questions um, having to do with money, money's raised and things like that. So yeah, there's there's actually a lot more, but these are just like the top ones, the ones that are easily uh, verifiable and whatnot.
0: Yeah, so uh, a couple things. First, devolver. That I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, Devolver, devolder. <laughs> oh. There's a D there. Okay. Well, I, I still I still don't like his choice. Okay. <laughs> and 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 the second thing is he he sent out a tweet. Uh, responding to the media's most recent obsession. Right. Uh, he he said, the most recent obsession from the media claiming that I am a drag queen or performed as a drag queen is categorically false. He tweeted this uh, late last week, I believe on a Thursday morning of last week. Uh, he continued, the media continues to make outrageous claims about my life while I am working to deliver results. I will not be distracted nor phased by this, end quote. And the last thing I want to say is, uh, obviously, the dude is a pathological liar. The difference between him and Trump, though, is Trump can lie in kind of a charming way. And I think we all just know collectively that Trump knows he's lying. He doesn't give a crap that we know he's lying. And there's just a different vibe with George Santos. It's I don't know if he he knows it's creepy. It's, it's creepy it's it's there's a creepy vibe about it mm-hmm. he's clearly a pathological liar and he he has a
1: problem <laughs> yeah no exactly we shall see uh more will be revealed um, yeah coming up the blunt post with vic senator carolyn manhavad was elected in 2022 to represent california's uh, state district 20 her district includes the greater part of the San Fernando Valley, uh, as east as Burbank, west to Canoga Park, as north as Lakeview Terrace, and south to North Hollywood. Senator Manjivar grew up in the Valley, and she served in the Marine Corps from 2009 to 2016 during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. She is now married to her wife and lives in Panorama City. Good morning, Senator. Good morning. How are you doing?
2: Uh, good. Uh, you know, always trying to uh, beat technology and technology always wins.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's always something, some new glitch we didn't know was there.
2: Exactly. So I apologize. Vic. But I'm no, here. it's all
1: good. It's all good. You remember meeting me at uh, Member Nazarian's house?
2: Yes. Yes. For the galas.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad you won.
2: Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be on the show with you.
1: Good to have you. Uh, you know, it, it's a new year and uh, a new era. I feel like you know, every every four years, we uh, we say this is the most important uh, election of our lifetime, especially when we talk about uh, national elections, presidential elections. But I do feel like, as an Angelino, that this past November's election was sort of a game changer for us in Southern California, in LA County. Uh, It was really an important election, which saw a Mm -hmm. lot of uh, groundbreaking things happen. Uh, So I want to ask you your perspective on that, as well as, you know, where are we in L.A., the state of our nation, the state of our county, L.A. County, L.A. City, uh, and of course, your district.
2: Florence, you know, I agree with you, Vic. Yeah. You know, after we do here, this is the most important election. But this time past November felt very different. Um, and L.A. politics as a whole, no one could have written this because it didn't go the way most insiders thought it was going to go. Right. And not just for my race, but we're talking the county, the mayor, other city races. I mean, we had three. Council members, is it three council members be ousted or two council members be that we that,
1: you know, we were, were ousted. One uh, was termed out. People didn't think could
2: happen. When we saw Councilmember Member David Rue be ousted, we thought, oh, my gosh, this is just a one and done type of thing. And But it's that a wave. And I keep saying that since the Trump administration, um, there's been a wave and it's been leading up to this point. Right. So um, we also had Prop 1 on the docket, you know, ensuring that um, women or individuals who could um, give birth, their rights were protected and in our state's constitution. So that brought out a wave of individuals to vote and to ensure that Prop 1 was saved. So we saw record numbers of women being um, registered to vote. And in my race in particular, right, um, it really aligned with this notion of LA politics of people really wanted new faces. They wanted new perspectives. And it didn't suit well uh, for the son of an outgoing senator to be in the mix of this all, right? When individuals wanted, like I mentioned, someone who came from the community and a district that uh, 10 years ago was a Latino district, but then was gerrymandered um, into a non-Latino district, they rewrote the wrongs during the redistricting of the 2020 census, It came back to be similar of what it used to look like when now U.S. Senator Alex Padilla was the state senator in this seat. Um, And it just, I keep saying it was the perfect storm. I had the right background. It was the right district. It was the right moment in L.A. politics. Um, and for Madam Supervisor Lindsay Horvath, it worked for her as well. And we had, you know, we were both phenomenal candidates. Um, I keep saying it was like the time of the woman. And L.A. City as a whole or county is being led by women. First female mayor. And we're seeing this shift of collaboration like we've never
1: seen before. And as a as a queer person, as a gay man, I have to say, I'm so glad that it was time that a a lesbian uh, also represented us. You know, I'm in your district. I live in your district. You know, that's
2: amazing. I didn't
1: know that. I do. I do. This is the blunt post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with California State Senator Carolyn Manhivad. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a lot of great stuff came out of this election. Not everything, but most of it, including you know Mayor Bass, who I've interviewed when she was a, a Congresswoman, uh, becoming the mayor and uh, pledging that she was going to put uh, the unhoused on top of her uh, agenda. And she has. She's come out very aggressively trying to tackle. Uh, the unhoused challenges we have in the city. Uh, I'm just wondering, how do you feel about that in terms of what she's done so far? Of course, it's way too early to have any kind of an expectation, although she's she's already made some great strides. And uh, are those initiatives in line with your, um, with your plans in your district? Right.
2: You know, I would say that I'm really appreciative of the mayor's energy. Um, and dedication to this. Um, She's been very thoughtful in this approach, and I'm thankful that the LA County has followed in this approach. You know, they simultaneously declared uh, an emergency on the crisis. You couldn't have just the city of LA move forward with this. We needed the support of LA County, and we're seeing that, and I'm thankful for that. I'm a social worker, Vic, so my main focus is mental health. I understand, and I agree, we need to house these individuals because no one deserves to be sleeping on our streets, right? right. But at the same time, I want to be very mindful in ensuring that the roof isn't the only thing we provide these individuals. Right. This week, through the 26th, I believe, it's going to be the annual homeless count. So all these numbers that I'm going to tell you are from last year, where it said 40% of the individuals that are unhoused are dealing with a mental illness, or struggling with addiction, so if that means that we're um, if we're not addressing the, that forty percent, it's going to be very hard for us to be sustainable in keeping the individual's house. So on the state level, I want to be supportive of what the city and county is doing. I commend the mayor for like what I mentioned, bringing this tenacity to address this issue. And I know she's looking at areas in my district, in the San Fernando Valley, where we can house individuals, right? So what I want to do is make sure that we're bringing the mental health resources. But here's the problem that we're seeing, Vic. We don't have enough mental health therapists right now. And LA Times and any other um, outlet you're seeing is writing about the lack of workforce that we have in the mental health sphere. So with care core coming, with us housing individuals, who's gonna make sure that these individuals are being able to transition from a very traumatic living situation, which is the streets, to being um, in a, in a in a way feeling safe, because you can't just give a roof and say, oh, you'll be fine. There is trauma, there is PTSD, there's a sense of uh, lack of understanding of what is danger, and what isn't, because the mind literally forms to your traumatic situation and it's hard for you to, to determine what is safe or not. So on the state level, we're looking at a deficit and I want to make sure that the mental health investments aren't delayed because we won't be successful if we don't bring the resources to incentivize individuals to be social workers, marriage family th- therapists, um, how do we help with tuition? How do we provide more slots to our universities to get these therapists? How do we then retain them because they're burnt out? What do we do then because they're not able to afford housing to live in this area? So that's the part that I want to help fill is work closely with L.A. County because they, they, um, they have Department of Mental Health. Um, and be supportive on the state level with the CARE Corps implementation and the mayor's um, agenda to house everyone.
1: Yeah, otherwise it's just a Band-Aid, you know, because the issue is so comprehensive. It's a national issue, you know, by the way. I, I've always felt that uh, we just happened, in California we happen to have 50% of the the homeless population, uh, but it's a national uh, challenge of uh, disintegration of middle-class inequality in uh in uh, salaries income mm. uh, mm-hmm. you know so much access to healthcare and stuff like that 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 has created this this challenge and so it, it does as you said it does need to be addressed on so many different levels otherwise uh we will revert back to uh you know where we are today which is um you know at this you know our city has what, 40 to 50,000 homeless just in LA mm-hmm. alone so um, speaking of, you have a very ambitious agenda. You've been uh, sort of working hard to tackle um, environmental issues, uh, jobs in the San Fernando Valley, you know, immigration uh, and immigration rights and such. Um, what, what can we what can we expect in 2023 from, from, uh, aside from, you know, helping with, uh, with the unhoused? What are your sort of the top uh, priorities that you're working on?
2: you know, I'm really, I'm entering my fourth week in Sacramento, right? Um, so still meeting with so many stakeholders, leaders, uh, experts in so many of the fields, but I'm very grateful to Madam Pro Tem, um, Senator Tony Atkins, for uh, appointing me to the committees that I've been appointed to. And in that in that sphere, I'll be able to work on issues that I'm passionate about. So I'm on the Environmental Quality Committee, where I already had a briefing with California environmental voters on the issues that we need to move forward. You know, I voice concerns around the fact that my district has three airports, and we're looking to see how on the state level I can be a, a partner to addressing um, one airport in particular, Wyman Airport in Pacoima, and working with LA County and uh, federal agencies on the state support that they might need. So we're in early communications around that. Um, I'm also looking at um, the asphalt in our children's schools. You know, I'm very grateful that there is a grant that came down um, to CAL FIRE that is going to be giving out money for entities to switch over from asphalt to um, drought-resistant landscape, landscape that will allow our children to be able to play outdoors. Because it, in the San Fernando Valley, you know, big it gets so, so hot. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and it's unfair mostly for our children who have to spend more time outside. Um, so we're looking at how we can send metrics for that. I understand there is a deficit right now, um, and we want to be mindful of that. So some of this is going to be when our preparations are made, right? Or some of this are, are going to just set the state. We're looking at addressing the air pollution, having having meetings with leaders of recycling centers, um, having um, working with leaders on AQMD. I'm going to be, I've already started a briefing with members who have been in Sacramento for years and have started inching away Um, towards the end goal of this ideal utopia for environmental justice right Uh, I'm also on uh, very proud and honored to be chairing sub three budget sub three on health and human services and then aligns correctly or aligns perfectly with what I want to do how are we protecting the most vulnerable when it comes to our social services our social net that is so important for individuals that especially in my district. My district is working class, um, has big pockets of low income, has big pockets of non-Spanish speaking. We have immigration populations. We have refugees in this area. And I have had the honor of working with so many organizations that serve this community and have an inch of understanding of what is needed there. Um, During this deficit, I wanna make sure we're not making detrimental cuts to these programs Um, on the, um, I'm also on the overall budget committee and that's just gonna be a bigger conversation of all the budgets that we're looking at. I had my first budget hearing last week and I was vocal on some of these delayed cuts. I don't think this is the time that we, I think this is a time that we just push forward on the investments that we have and I'll be providing also an oversight to ensure that the money we've already brought, we've already allocated, is being implemented properly. Because oftentimes, you know, constituents will say is, where are these programs that we've invested in? Um, on the Military and Veterans Committee, as a veteran myself, I want to make sure we're protecting those who've who've protected us for years and decades. Um, I'll be working with leaders. I had a meeting yesterday with veteran leaders in the the city of San Fernando. Um, I'm gonna be reading with the meeting with the veterans. Um L.A. County veterans lead soon. And right now, Vic, is in the conversation stage, right? Uh, today, uh, last Friday was the last day to introduce um, bills that you intend to, to work on. Um, And then we have until the middle of February to really cement that wording. So as we navigate this last month, I'm just having a lot of conversations with leaders on how we can help with uh, the disparities we're seeing in my district and across the the state. But what you can expect for me is dedication, is energy, um, is um, someone who's going to ask questions, um, someone who's going to, if no is the answer, I want a lot of thought behind that no and someone who's gonna bring or who's gonna build coalition. And that's what I've been doing in Sacramento. Connecting with people, having endless amount of meeting greets because I need a form or obtain all that information.
1: It's okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's so overwhelming just to just to hear <laughs> all of that. Just like, I know there are people out there who think you have just like a magic wand to just make things just happen, you know. I right wish. Away. I
2: right. wish.
1: It's, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to tackle. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with California State Senator Carolyn manhevar So many uh, different challenges and then also having to deal with your constituents uh, contradicting values and needs and wants. And, you know, of course, you can never make everyone happy all of the time. So I, I suppose it's a balance one hits. So uh, thank you for that. Um, your your district also has a large Armenian-American community. Uh, and as an Armenian-American, you know, we, we've we been going through it for two and a half years now since the uh, Azerbaijan invaded Artsakh and killed 5,000 plus Armenians. And unfortunately, it's, as we speak, it's still uh, happening. Uh, the, the blockade of Artsakh continues uh, day 40, where 120,000 Armenians are essentially kept hostage uh, without food, medicine, electricity, internet, and recently their gas was also cut off. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. nothing short of ethnic cleansing. It's nothing short of a genocidal act by uh, Azerbaijan aided by Turkey. Uh, I'm just wondering what your perspective is on this.
2: Right, yes. You know, just this, just a week ago, I met with leaders across um, different chapters of the ANCA Western chapter, ANCA. Um, I've met with the East Valley leader, Burbank Valley, West Valley leader, um, and we sat down together. And I mentioned earlier is I'm um, a proponent of getting this information. I want to make sure I'm making educated, guess, uh, educated um, decisions. Um, you know, I went to school for 18 years, so that's very important for me the briefings, I want to hear. And that's what I've started to do already. You know, hearing from individuals, the national representative was there. And we talked about this. And I've already signed on with my colleague, Senator Anthony Portantino, on a letter that we're sending over to President Biden, a letter that is calling for a direct attention to this, because these stories are horrific. You know, you mentioned the blockade, this blockade that is If it continues up to day 60, we're going to have people starving to death. It is so, it is so cold. You know, I I was complaining yesterday of 41 degrees in Sacramento, but I only had to walk maybe four or five minutes and then I was inside in a warm building. And, you know, I just like put things in perspective. That's only four minutes. People are having to be 24-7 in the cold right now. So we're bringing attention to it. Um, I do recognize I have a large Armenian population in my district, and it's a community that I want to have a very, very close relationship with. Um, it's, you know, I've worked on the census with the Armenian population. I recognized during my campaign that I needed to, to um, reach out and contact Armenian constituents, you know, I had... I had information on my campaign in Armenian. I had Armenian individuals working um, because I knew how important that was. I always blame my best friend. I, You know, I, I should be speaking Armenian by now. We've been best friends for 17 years and she's only taught me like three, four words. I always get upset at her. Um, but I know the language is important. And as I'm building my team, I want to be mindful of the assets that I bring. Um, and I want to make sure that I have a team that is reflective of the community because I don't want language to be a barrier to access your government. So Vic, this is something that's important for me. Um, we, I recognize as a Latina, our, our, our needs, our immigrant needs are similar. Not all the same, but they're similar. So I can resonate a little bit. Um, so... I mentioned to you in this district, it's a lot of non Spanish speaking and non English speaking individuals, and that's an onslaught of it's a it's a variety of um, languages in Armenian being one of them. We have Filipinos and so forth. So I'll be working closely. I met with Senator Scott Wilk, who's part of the Armenian caucus. I know we lost Member Nazarian. Um, I want to be part of the Armenian caucus. I want to be very involved in that. You know, we will be, um, you know, Senator Anthony Portantino um, is leaving in two years. You know, I want to sh- make sure there's a pipeline to get more Armenian leaders in Sacramento. So both on the staff side and on the uh, legislator side. So you know, I look forward to working with you, Vic. You know, we, you, I am Likewise. so proud or so grateful that galas exist um, because we need to make sure we're tapping into every single LGBTQ plus individual across different races, nationalities, um, because we have things in common. Um, and I'll, I'll be very, I'll very, be very involved in that realm as well
1: we we have a thank you for that we have you know i grew up in tahanga so you know we're both valley kids Mm -hmm. and of course we're family so thank you for that this is the blunt post with vic on kpfk 90.7 fm i am your host Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with california state senator carolyn Manhivad. speaking of you know i always wonder you know um there is uh there's uh, pressure on women. there's a double standard and a pressure on women to overwork and over uh, achieve in order to have the equal uh, equal uh, credit given to them. But you're also a, a a lesbian. So I just wonder if there's you know and then of course our own communities sometimes we put pressure on our own leaders because uh, you know we want them to shine. So do you feel that pressure as a Latina, as a as a woman, as a lesbian? <laughs>
2: the triple the triple dagger right of my whole life um (laughs) this is why when people say it's a choice who in their right mind would choose to have three things against them right um no but it's also a beautiful identity that i love so much it's it's who i am um and it's really guided my perspectives now you know i've you know, having served in the Marine Corps during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and having to hide who I loved during that time, and restraining the kind of leader that I wanted to be because I was so scared of being caught. Um, or, you know, I've been drawn to predominantly male dominated fields, like being an EMT, military, um, I did security. Um, it was, oh, I was always surrounded by mostly men. Or, oh, she's Butch, she's a dyke. You know, sometimes I have short hair. Really, really short hair. I was a staffer in the city of LA, and I did a presentation, and I was called a dyke. Um, you know, I'm grateful during my campaign, nothing like that came up. Um, I was shocked as well, but you know, it's it. I've been kicked out of restaurants for have when I was younger for PDA. Um, it hasn't happened now. You know, I think now I'm. It it, it would it, it would be a bad situation for the other person if someone tried. To me out um for holding hands with my yeah. wife um you know i'm, I'm more i'm more uh, way more comfortable in myself but it's been it was a tough road leading to this point but you know i turn to the leadership that the mentors i've had um and, and the confidence that i bring to um ensure that no one else has to feel that it is a little harder i will say Vic. you know during my campaign um i was questioned um my uh i was questioned and i was the one that had a great robust background. Um, and often we see women of color have to prove themselves compared to a um, a white man or what have you. And, and it's frustrating um, because we work so hard to say, okay, now maybe they're going to think I'm serious because I've done all of this. And it's still not enough. So I, you know, I want to be helpful to um, individuals who feel that way. How can I support you? Because It's not enough for me to be in this spot. It's how many people do I hold the door for, for them to follow me through, right? So that's on the um, immigration side, the the LGBTQ side, um, BIPOC individuals, you know, people who just feel like not part of the popular crowd, if you will. In this spot now, I got here through the people who put me here. I'm grateful for them Um, and I'm here to represent everyone because when we support the most vulnerable people, we're supporting everyone. Um, And we have a unique perspective that we bring that isn't taught. These lived experiences have so much power behind them because no one can take that away and say, well, that's incorrect because it's your experiences.
1: Yeah. And I, and I'd like to think that we've come, we've come uh, a long way. We're in a better place. Hearing that. You didn't have to deal with uh, some, you know, much of homophobia during your campaign. Uh, it's a really uh, good thing.
2: We're well, we we we're the first state ever to have 10% of our legislators be LGBTQ. Plus, that is huge. LGBTQ. We have 12 members, 12 legislators, um, four lesbians. Uh, what is that? Eight, nine yeah, eight. A little math here. <laughs> gay individuals. So it's amazing. Uh, We're reflective of the population and we want to make sure we're just moving forward and never backwards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Greater LA has really emerged as the leader in the nation, I think, when it comes to LGBTQ uh, rights and movement. And I'm very proud of that. Proud of uh, living in LA. Um, Before we go, uh, is there a question I should have asked that I didn't? Would you like to add something? I would
2: like to add that we can't be successful without everyone's involvement, right? I can't go to Sacramento and fight for something and then I turn back and no one is there to fight with me or alongside me. So be involved. I ask, be involved. If not, I'm not your representative, but there's an issue I'm working on that is going to impact your area, be involved with their office. Um, I will welcome anyone's collaboration, um, insight. What are you seeing out in this, uh, out in your field? Because that's important. Um, Vic, this is a. It's not me on myself by myself. It's a whole community coalition. So I just, I think it's so important to have that government community partnership to be successful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a slogan uh, that I that I actually say often, which is, "If you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem." Our elected officials cannot be well, for someone. Yeah, you can't just expect uh, elected officials to just make everything right without uh, you know any input and help. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Senator uh, Manjivar. I really appreciate it. It's good to have you.
2: Thank you, Vic. I appreciate this opportunity.
1: That was my interview with uh, Senator Caroline uh, Menhivar from the Valley. Thank you, Senator, for being on the Blunt Post with Vic. Appreciate your time uh, and uh, good luck to you. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit TheBluntPost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicGerami. At V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.